Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. Welcome to the latest edition of The Curious Capitalist. On this edition, I am pleased to introduce Mariana Milkis. She's here to talk about entrepreneuring remotely, amongst other things. Mariana is the project manager at Starbucks Global Academy at the Arizona State University and the launch consultant for Ask ET. Hello and welcome, Mariana, to The Curious Capitalist. Thank you, Claire. Pleasure being here. Great to have you. Let's dive in then. Tell me how you got to this point in your career. Yeah, my career path is probably uh, slightly different than many of the entrepreneurs and business owners that you tend to talk to because I uh, actually went from entrepreneurship back to the corporate world. But I am originally from Russia and over there I was a fashion editor for InStyle magazine for a few years and kind of did the whole journalist thing. Then I moved to New York, worked in PR because that was a logical-ish transition and uh, slowly kind of found my way to fashion tech where I was a co-founder of a fashion tech company that was funded by Google and Founders Fund, a fashion AI conversational assistant. And after that, I somehow migrated to project management. So I still do consulting because I have a huge passion for responsible and conscious entrepreneurship and really value-based businesses and food. Hence, my consulting firm is called Ask Edie. So that's what I do. I kind of pulled from all the different experiences that I've had working on two continents in two countries and doing all sorts of things. So yeah, I really enjoy this diversity of experiences and kind of random bits of knowledge that pop up whenever I need them. Absolutely. And two different continents, of course, I can identify with. How old were yeah. you when you came over from Russia? That was in 2013. So wow. whatever I was, 25-ish, 6-ish. I wow. What was the transition like? I'm curious. What was the transition like from Russia to the States? You know, there were different things. So first of all, I was never one of those people who dream of living in New York. I definitely knew a lot of them working in the fashion industry in Moscow, but I just never cared. I actually was an exchange student in Iowa when I was 15. So I lived there for a year. So I was slightly familiar. Obviously, there is a huge difference between the Midwestern life experience and culture and (laughs) and the York culture. So I have to account for that. But The transition itself was okay. There was a slight kind of slap on the face, so to say, in terms of basically all my previous experience. You know, I was a pretty well-known and recognized fashion editor. I was in demand. That was all kind of wiped clean. So I don't know mm-hmm. if, if you can relate to some yeah, of Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you, um, you have to start afresh. It's like nothing yeah. before entering the United States counts. So right, uh, you exactly. have to rebuild, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was kind of reaching out to, you know, magazines, even in style and kind of being like, I can be an assistant, you know, I'm, I'm not proud, like I can mm-hmm. do whatever. There was just a complete kind of lack of contact. So that was a little bit stressful because I had to kind of start from scratch and, you know, and mm-hmm. I wasn't 18 or 20. So I also 
wasn't in the mood to spend all my money on a corner in Manhattan somewhere so I could like hang out and network. I was in the mood for starting a family. So there was some transition, which was why eventually after two years there, my at that point, husband and I just dropped everything and drove across the country with just a sedan full of stuff. We sold everything else. We drove across the country and landed in Arizona where I now reside. Wow, what a story. What a journey. Uh, what, do you, <laughs> what do you wish you'd known before you started out on your career path, be that in Russia and then obviously restarting, mm -hmm. if you like, in New York? I would have liked to know to not lock myself into any particular definition of a career. And I still trying to figure it out and get completely comfortable with it. But like I mentioned, I was a journalist, I was a publicist, I was a content strategist, I'm a project manager. So I did all these things and I kind of, for the longest time, when I moved to United States, I felt that I still need to stick with the, some form of journalism and that ended up being limited. And then I never would have imagined, you know, take myself 10 years ago or even probably even five years ago, I would have never imagined myself loving the job of a project manager because I always perceived myself as this creative whatever person and I dismissed the part of myself. I'm also a Virgo, so I guess does it a little explains bit. Explains everything. Uh, right, explains everything. <laughs> Basically can end there. <laughs> but I dismiss that part of myself that really enjoys structure and really enjoys kind of make complex things simple and so on and so forth. And I think just kind of accepting the entirety of myself, of who I am, instead of some wishful thinking about who I want to be more and embracing that, I think that would have, I mean, I'm happy with where I am. I wouldn't change a thing, but that would probably give me, just empower me a little bit more on that journey. Mm, nice one. So you are currently the project manager at Starbucks Global Academy at the Arizona State University. Tell me about that role. Tell me about how that works for you. That works fantastic for me. I had a pretty exhilarating, but also rough ride as an entrepreneur for almost five years prior to that. And I think that this job now kind of gave me, I kind of think of it as like a reward for all the challenges that I've been through <laughs> because it's, it's so incredibly rewarding. And then, you know, it's rewarding because we're building a platform that is open to everyone. It is co-created by SU and Starbucks, but it's open to everyone to learn about coffee and address you know, different biases and learn about sustainability and just all sorts of fantastic things, grow personally and professionally, it's free. And we are very quickly expanding globally. So we just learned Asia Pacific region with 15 countries. We will be launching the EMEA region, including Russia, with 40 plus countries early next year. So there's a lot going on that's super exciting for me. I really can, in this job, pull on all different aspects. So even though my role is, a pro is one of a project manager, but I really act largely along with my team as product owners because there's only five of us and we pretty much determine along with Starbucks, of course, and with their huge involvement and support and approvals and ideas, but we determine what this thing is. I joined when basically Starbucks Global Academy stopped being kind of left the pilot stage and became a thing in itself. And just seeing it grow in just less than a year that I've been there has been exciting. And then my team and my manager right now is a huge inspiration for me. He really is an example to me of this 
mentor and servant leader who kind of embodies what I would have liked to see in other managers that I've had before. Tell me about some of the projects that you've worked on at the university. So my main project is Starbucks Global Academy, and I so far have worked on a big technical migration where we consolidated from uh, two vendors to one, free complete redesign relaunch of the landing page, complete redesign of the URL architecture. Like I mentioned, we launched Asia Pacific and working on launching the EMEA. Yeah, there's always something. There has been um, multiple course launches in this time, uh, course refreshes, communication campaigns. So there, it's it's never boring. It, it really is kind of an over... Super varied for sure. It, it, yeah, it is. It's never boring. And I personally love, you know, I have a team of uh, developers that I work with in India. I have a team of developers in Ukraine that I work with. And I love this kind of diversity and just touching base with different views of the world, so to say, or, you know, different ideas and, and the contributions of all these different team members. How did you first get involved with conscious capitalism in Connecticut? So this probably has to do more with uh, my kind of the consulting and this other part of my career and what I do. After I parted ways with my co-founder with a startup that I built for five years prior to this, uh, that was at the end of 2019. And I really got thinking a lot about a more mindful approach to entrepreneurship specifically and work in general and leadership and how to avoid burnout, how to incorporate a more purposeful business that is profitable, but also cares about the well-being of the employees, of the founders, of the community, and so on and so forth. And I pitched a talk on entrepreneuring remotely, actually the, the name just kind of stuck, to Phoenix Startup Week, which happened in February 2020. And you can probably catch the irony because in March 2020, whether we liked it or not, we all had to start working remotely. So that talk went very well and it was really exciting to see that many people really connected with the messaging. And I think that that was a pretty different messaging to the, I guess, overarching entrepreneurship narrative of the hustle and all that stuff. So Sashi was one of the pers uh, one of the people who talked to me after the presentation and we connected on LinkedIn. And then he reached out to me and suggested that, you know, connected me to Gavin and Glenn and kind of decided to do the thing. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, so I guess some of the things are aligned with what you've been doing in terms of conscious capitalism's work is we talk a lot about higher purpose. Would you say that the company that you're currently with, and I guess through your consulting work as well, does your company have a stated higher purpose and what sort of language would you use to describe that? That's a very good question. I think that even companies that are very aware of the intention to do good, some of them are still struggling or just struggling, maybe just not there in terms of really formulating the higher purpose. I mean, ASU has a fantastic charter at Starbucks Global Academy, we talk a lot about providing, making high quality education available and accessible to all. And it's like I said, it's a free platform. So that really for Starbucks, this is really just increasing access to high quality educational content and making that available to everyone, be it in Cambodia or in Azerbaijan or in the United States and Canada and so on. So, and that 
to me, I really resonate with that purpose because I, I have a toddler and I've been thinking a lot about education and I you bet know, you have. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> um, I'm going back to school myself too, starting next year. But obviously, you know, there's a lot of questions about access to education and and things like that. So I wouldn't say that there's a specific wording used to define this higher purpose. But what I mentioned, increasing access to high quality education for all, that sounds about right to me. And then yeah. on the consulting side. Again, I haven't put it in words, which is a good idea. I probably will formulate some sort of mission because there definitely is one. Overarching kind of theme of what I'm doing for my consulting, for my other, you know, mindfulness and mindfulness at work. Uh, I formulated the, the phrase and the call to action, so to say, of living with less resistance, working with more impact and connecting with more depth and authenticity. So that, that's what I feel is important. I feel that we really struggle a lot with kind of balancing the narrative of who we're told we should be and what we should be striving for and then what really feels right and what we can really connect with as employees, as people, as contributors. And same goes for work. I talked about this in my Conscious Capitalism presentations. We really want that impact and feeling needed and feeling like what we do matters. No, very much so. More so than ever, I think coronavirus has really sort of shone a light on how we work more than any other time that I can remember, you know, and the shift towards a more remote way of being and working for many people, myself included, has actually been a really positive experience. And it seems really strange to have such a positive to come out of such a, you know, an awful situation that we find ourselves in with this global pandemic. There are some good things to come from it. I like to try and focus on the positive yeah. if I possibly can. Yeah, for sure. I do think that gave us, I mean, showed us the challenges. It showed us our resilience. It also gave us, at least for some people, gave us the opportunity to kind of reevaluate why we do things the way we do things on default and get off the autopilot for a little bit. And I think that, yes, there's silver lining. <laughs> it's definitely a silver lining. Has to be one. If a company wanted to make a shift towards more consciousness within their business, what would your advice be? My advice would be to take really good and honest stock of where you are right now, why you do what you do. One thing that really triggers me <laughs> with the startup culture and, and kind of some of the entrepreneurial narratives is that there's this huge focus on vanity metrics. That A, are not even true, and B, they are just pulled to just impress whoever needs to be impressed. But what good do we really do to our customers? How do they really perceive us? How are we taking criticism? What are we doing to improve how our employees really feel? And I think there's, you know, there's this notion of radical transparency. While I'm, I might not completely agree with it, but I think that it is management's job partially to enable this transparency and have enough humbleness to accept employees' feedback without repercussions. <laughs> so I Absolutely, think that, yeah, I no. think that I think there's a lot a lot to be found in empowering employees to a solve problems b really be the reflection of the company and really build that culture but they need to know that they can express themselves and they can initiate things and they can express themselves without being punished for it 
mm-hmm. one way or another, right? And punishment yeah. can be financial. Punishment can just be, you know, lack of promotions, or it can be just uh, emotional pushback, right? Or some something like that. So I think that it does fall a lot on management's shoulders to create the environment where you basically don't need to do much, but you need to create the environment to listen and to give employees this freedom and support to build a company and a culture that is focused towards customers. Another thing that I advocate for a lot is to I mean, obviously we all want to make money, but I think that the era of companies that are just built for this infinite growth without any concern for their impact on the community, on the people who work at the company, you know, just kind of pumping every possible energy unit or, you know, financial unit out of the customers and their staff, which those companies still exist and continue to grow for some reason. But (laughs) I think that, you know, my big hope is that that will be slowly coming to an end. And my hope is for uh, a new breed of companies that realize they need to make money, of course, but that also realize that infinite growth is not the answer, that there's just, we don't live on a planet that's meant for infinite growth. We need to strive for balance and we need to strive for balancing how much money do you need versus how I can better the community I serve, how I can contribute to the life of my staff and so on and so forth. So I think kind of letting go of that just infinite growth paradigm and growing from a point that also takes into account the the betterment of the people that you work with. And I just recently listened to a podcast, um, how I built this with the Lush founder. And I didn't know that about that company, but that company sounds like the perfect example of that. So highly recommend a listen, but they basically capped how much money the founders can, can take out of the profits and gave the, you know, a big chunk of the rest of the profits distributed through the staff and with the growth of the company that improved everyone's life and also made the, you know, the incentive more obvious for improving it so you're not just putting money in this dude's pocket but you're yeah. actually it's a great example uh, <laughs> when i lived in the uk i live very near to where there is a huge i think it may even be their head office in paul in dorset mm-hmm. in the uk and mm-hmm. uh, you know a very favorable local employer and it blew my mind i don't think i really realized their global scale but they managed to scale that up to be yeah you know, a worldwide brand, but still maintain those key ingredients that made them a fantastic company, not just to work right. for, but, you know, to want to be a part of and to champion. So yeah, Lush is a, right. a good example, actually. Good example. Okay. More about you. What do you think has been your greatest success, both professionally and personally and why? You know, I guess I'm a pretty confident and optimistic person in that sense. I can list numerous <laughs> successes. I think overall, if we're looking at it broadly, I think just coming from a city in Siberia and now ending up here doing the work that I do, I would think that pretty big success overall. And kind of having the place as an immigrant, having a place that I have in this society. So I would consider that a success. And I think the greatest achievement to me personally was the ability to let go of the narrative of what I need to strive for and accepting and embracing 
that I love to work as part of the team, that I love to work in education, which, you know, some of this, you know, I grew up in kind of with this ingrained notion of what is cool, like what cool jobs are. And I always <laughs> tried to, you know, and I did have some of those really cool jobs. I, yep. So I think finding that really profound satisfaction and really sincerely that doesn't feel like a compromise, but just embracing who I really am more versus again, like I said, striving for trying to emphasize some aspects that are part of me, but are not all of me and that in the end just end up stressing me out more. I think I was able to kind of strike a better balance this year specifically with just slowing down a little bit and just grounding and incorporating much more a much more mindful approach to everyday choices about how I work, what I do. That feels like a huge achievement. Absolutely. What a great answer. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think when we get to a place of, I guess, maturity, isn't it, is in the work that we do and the work that we want to do, it changes over time. It really does. As a youngster, obviously, I worked in radio for many, many years, and that's the mm-hmm. cool job, allegedly. Right, <laughs> was, right. Yeah, the cool work. job. That's the cool job. Yeah. But actually, right. I found work post-radio so much more rewarding, you know? So I mm-hmm. think that's something that perhaps changes with time as well. And to yeah. make the move, I have to say, from Siberia to Arizona, that's some going. That's got to be some going in terms of the temperature alone. You know, yeah, it, it was, uh, I always laugh that I went from uh, eight months of hell and three months of like pretty good weather to, well, this year doesn't count. This year was intense uh, yes. to three months of hell and nine months of great weather. So the trade-off was pretty good. Although this summer was brutal. I'm, I'm thinking about renting a house next summer somewhere up in the in the pines in northern arizona or something <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit warm for you it was a bit warm yeah. <laughs> just, just a bit. well i'm a brit so i'm only used to the wet stuff so um <laughs> yeah you know I'll... i love i i love the heat just not 120 it... degrees for six months and the know? humidity it's yeah. the humidity yeah. <laughs> Okay, so with great successes, of course, come fears and failures, I guess. I don't like to focus on failures, but what has been the greatest fear that you've ever had to face in your life? You know, I'll tell you, um, the greatest fear had to do with my past job that I had, which was a job. I was was a co-founder of this company. And basically, we, as many entrepreneurs would relate to, struggled with finding the product market fit. And I uh, kind of was just ready to accept that, you know, we just need to do something else. Now, this didn't work. No one really wants it. And then um, my partner at the time wanted to continue working on the project. And I realized that the best case scenario for this job would be to for the startup to be purchased by Google or something like that, or Amazon or some, some other giant. And I got this just throughout my body is this, this overwhelming, just fear and like paralysis dread of having to go work for one of those companies. <laughs> so yeah. that was a big sign for me that I need to change something. Um, and not to say that, I mean, there are great people who work there and some of the work they do, I mean, they're definitely doing great things, whether or not I agree with many of the things they're doing, 
but just for some reason for whatever reason that thought of like okay that would be the best case scenario would be to end up working at google and i just didn't sit right with me so no. i probably just now erased any chance of myself ever working <laughs> at google if the but, people you know, at google I, are listening to this uh yeah she... <laughs> I, <laughs> but you know what i i think i'm okay with that Absolutely. And I think, again, that comes to that work maturity that you're talking about. And with that comes making decisions that are morally sitting right with you. I think we all go through that kind of phase and uh, it's an interesting transition, that's for sure. When you're not focused on your work and your consulting business, of Mm -hmm. course, what do you do to relax? What do you do for fun, TV, sport, family? What do you get up to? Well, I do have... A podcast that I'll plug in here. Um, so that that would sound completely juju and out of place, but I, uh, for the last year or so, I've been very interested in human design. So that's kind of an intersection of astrology and uh, I Ching and a bunch of other things. And I found that to be very practical and interesting personal exploration. So that's what the podcast is about. It's called Decondition This. Okay. Uh, so I do that for fun. I love to cook and eat. I'm a huge foodie and I'm kind of obsessed with go to farmer's markets. I try new recipes. I cook all sorts of things. My toddler, who's two and a half, just recently started cooking with mom and helps me chop things. And that's like the best thing in the world. I am with different levels of success trying to garden here in Arizona. So that, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I never, and mind you, I never had it, not even tinted green. Like it's just, no, I never had any plants that I kept alive for longer than two days. I never grew anything in my life. Last fall I had a, or spring, was it spring? Spring. Uh, We have two grown seasons here, so I get mixed up, but I had grew some kale and some other herbs, so that was nice. So I'm attempting some more expanded repertoire <laughs> of plants this time. And also in quarantine, just like many, many people got into house plants. Those are actually doing good, which I am just, I know it sounds silly, but I'm immensely proud of myself because like I said, I killed more. People are saying, oh, grow basil on your windowsill. It's so easy. Dead. <laughs> grow rosemary. Dead. So <laughs> the fact that my vines are vining and my um, other things are growing new leaves, that is incredibly rewarding to me. I've made yeah. a mental note, Mariana. I've made a mental note that when I go on <laughs> holiday, not to ask you to look after our houseplants. It's okay. Don't worry. You- <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I swear. No, really. I killed the basil. <laughs> I, I did. Well, not more than once. <laughs> but basil is on side. It's actually basil right now is doing good. Granted, I bought it full grown. So. <laughs> Tend to keep it that way. But it's, it's uh, always good to have targets and aims in life. You know, I was always told like, um, yeah, somebody once told me, get a house plant and uh, keep it alive, water it, give it light. It will grow, blah, blah, blah. If you manage to keep that alive, then you can progress to a pet. So I got a dog and here I am mm-hmm. eight years on and the dog's still alive. The dog's doing well. That's good. Yeah, well, I managed to keep a two-year-old. Well, that too. that's the next step. <laughs> yeah, the next step comes, can you keep a human alive? So uh, I will keep you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of that. And then I do kind of dedicate, actually schedule time in my schedule because I found that's the only way to get myself unglued from the screen and actually 
do something that's not directly related to work and productivity, but I do yoga and meditate and try to go on walks and just take that time to buffer myself and my mind a little bit from everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's a nice phrase. I like that. I like that. The uh, the buffering effect. I think mm-hmm. we all need a little bit more of that, particularly at the moment. So thinking about, we've kind of touched on your love of food and your success and lack of success with basil. Uh, If you could have (laughs) dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and what questions might you ask them? So I thought about this and my first reaction was to have dinner with my dad who passed away quite a long time ago. So he didn't know that I moved to United States and he was the one who forced me to learn English when I was like starting at like three so to some extent even though my parents have been separated since I was 13 and then he's been pretty much out of my life since then but I owe him a ton so I would have just liked and then my son is named after him so I would have just liked to have an opportunity for that exchange but if we're talking about a historical figure so there's this um well she's gone now but there's this yoga teacher her name is Indra Devi and she was actually a Russian immigrant who brought yoga to the west to Hollywood in the early 20th century and not to say that I'm you know bringing some new revolutionary uh, thing to the United States but I read her book and um, I just kind of been intrigued by her personality and her life and how that all played out for her so I'd say probably I would love to have dinner with her to exchange the experience and talk about yoga and talk about what it's like you know kind of crossing this geographical and cultural barriers and being relevant wherever you are in the world and whatever you do and reinventing yourself. Mm, that'll be an interesting dinner guest for sure. Tell me a little bit about your plans, both personally and professionally moving forward. Usually the old uh, favorite is five or 10 years, but I think considering our current situation, (laughs) I hesitate to say more than five minutes, let alone five years, but how do you see the future? What are your plans personally and professionally moving forward? Yeah, well, my plans professionally are to grow within EdPlus at ASU and um, work on more exciting and, you know, more impactful educational projects and hopefully contribute to shaping this new vision of education that really is inclusive and accessible and affordable and really helps people, kids and adults up level in life. And I think I can be at a better place because ASU is built on the idea of who they include and not who they exclude. So that I resonate deeply with that. And then I do, you know, something that I've been thinking a lot on, you know, talking about the podcast and my consulting is just advancing this idea and kind of expanding and shaping the language that we used to talk about a more mindful and more responsible a more aligned approach to how we work and the work that we do and i am uh, working on a website that will kind of incorporate all that and put that all together so all my speaking engagements and publications and 
things like that. But I honestly am still exploring this idea and I'm discovering it more and more. The more I talk about it, the more I present about it. Every new audience I address, I think about what can be valuable for them. But the idea that we can work in a way that aligns better with our values and that aligns better with who we are and our energetic needs and our connection needs as individuals to unlock this potential that we all have to really make a difference instead of just performing the actions and getting paid for them. And I think that, you know, my ultimate kind of hope is that when we raise the level of awareness about how we work and about which work we choose to do, and I'm not saying, you know, there's a lot of narrative in the self-development world is that, oh, now you have to go be like a consult, uh, a consultant, like a coach or something like that. I think that's perfectly fine to be an employee. That's perfectly fine to own a company. That's perfectly fine to not want the whole stress and craze of trying to build a company, but choosing the work that you do with more mindfulness and awareness, and then having the strength and commitment to separate that work from who you are or integrate it and kind of increase that awareness about how we work and what we do. And I'm hoping to advance that and develop the notion and reach more people with the message. Uh, it's uh, going to be a very interesting future that we face, that's for sure. Listen, it's <laughs> been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've got one last uh, question for you. Sure. So to finish up then, how can people find out more about you, the Starbucks Global Academy and your other consulting business? How can they get in touch with you? Is there a website, social media? Another opportunity to plug the podcast. Go, go, go. <laughs> go, go, go. All right. So yeah, I am kind of all over the place uh, right now, but there will be soon a website that the URL will be marianamilkis.com, two ends in Mariana. That website I will use to basically aggregate. So it'll link out to the consulting. It will link out to the podcast and all those good things. But otherwise you can find me on LinkedIn, Mariana Milkis, and you can email me at mariana at askedie.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That website, once again, is going to be very shortly, marianamilkis.com. Do check it out. Thank you so much for your time today. I wish you well in all your endeavors and stay well during this crazy time. Wonderful, Claire. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.